Hey everybody, Victor again. Welcome back to Need Some Introduction. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're using. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are available. I know many of you are new to the podcast. Our listenership has doubled in about the past week or so. So for all of you folks who are returning, I know it's your word of mouth that is making our podcast grow and I really appreciate it. For anybody who's new to the podcast, normally I'm creating a playlist or making recommendations, movie and TV recommendations for my friends or listeners to enjoy. These are custom playlists based on your tastes and I try to guess or hopefully introduce everybody to something new that they're not aware of, but they can become fans of. This episode is the second episode doing a deep dive into Prince's career. We're just past the anniversary of his passing a few weeks back. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, which was last week's episode, we cover his career from the beginning up until Purple Rain. This episode goes from the aftermath of Purple Rain up to probably his greatest achievement, which is Sign of the Times and slightly beyond that. So I hope you enjoy it. There's a lot of great music to listen to here and in the first episode also. And I'll catch you again on the other side. This is already a long episode, so let's get to it. So then he puts out, in my opinion, probably his worst record. I mean, my least favorite of his records, um, which still has some good songs on it, obviously. Because he really was batting, you know, close to a thousand at this point. But it's uh, um, um, Around the World in a Day, which was also a big disappointment at the time. Everybody was thinking like, oh, we're going to get Purple Rain 2, right? And then we got this album. Uh, and people were like, you know, he was overwhelmed by fame. And people were saying like, oh, he's doing this strategically. He's like sabotaging his career. But I don't believe that for a second because like he's still spinning out Purple Rain tracks. He's still touring with Purple Rain when, uh, you know, he starts spinning uh, um, hits from the next record. So there's no way he had even enough time (laughs) to process all this. So, you know, these these albums were coming out, you know, 10 months apart, 12 months apart. Right. So, yeah, it's not like they were uh, it's not like he had time to, to make that pivot, even if internally he was probably feeling overwhelmed. I can only imagine. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, um, around the world in the days, one of my favorite Prince albums, I think. Interesting. Um, to me, I, I guess just because it's a little, it it is a left turn, in a, mm-hmm. um, and it's more psychedelic. Yep. Um, and kind of like poppy, uh, like Beatles esque, I think. Absolutely. In a lot of ways, and that I like that just because it's like a departure in a in in a sense um so he he i like the zig that he took when everyone thought he was going to zag and lean further into um you know purple rain style stuff at the time when people really reacted badly to it i didn't think it was that bad he's like oh he still got hits off of it you know and maybe i didn't hear the record that wouldn't listen to the record all the way through the way i did purple rain but in retrospect it does feel weak to me only because I love Parade and I love Sign of the Times, right? Like Sign of the Times even more so. Uh, so in that run of 1999, Purple Rain, 
and then Parade and uh, Sign of the Times, which we're going to dig into. And even Love Sexy, by the way, which is a very good record, by the way, mm. um, of all those in, in that batch around the world of the day is, is the weakest. But like you said, he was trying a different style out. And I like some of the songs. It's not to say there are not good songs on there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, uh, Raspberry yeah. Beret. Um, yep. Paisley, absolutely. Paisley Park is a good, another good example of, uh, you know, one of his story songs with all the yep. different little character sketches. very psychedelic obviously he's very influenced by uh the beatles here yeah and uh and also the there's a message here too like he, he you know started to get more i just say political i guess i think mean, it's his own version of politics he was more about like you know racial equality and uh, peace really right and uh you know that became a very big um uh theme in his politics and in his, his music also. And I think this, so I think this is very earnest in, in a way, right? Where, where some people kind of felt like it was, I mean, some of the reviews were like scathing. They were kind of like, it was like a throwaway album. And I'm like, I think he was very sincere. I don't think he, there was anything um, insincere about what he was doing. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good song. Um, the, of course, Raspberry Beret, uh, um, which is a slight song, you know, it's just a straight up pop song, but it's a really not catchy song. Hit. Yeah, it's not his best hit pretty light but but there's some even then i was just listening to that again with kim yesterday and uh um you know i i still like how good he is at writing these very visual lyrics you know like i, I liked when he says that um uh um thunder drowns out with the lightning seas yeah it's like such a it's such a, a an image that he creates with that and it's like such a clever a turn of phrase you know to put it in just the context is such a breezy little pop song too exactly Very, exactly and uh yeah it's one of Prince's uh, strengths for sure. And like, um, yeah, Paisley Park to me, it's um, reminds me a little bit of, well, cause there's that kind of calliope sounding yeah. thing to it. So benefit of Mr. Kite and then the mm -hmm. Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane uh, songs, uh, all kind of are in that mix. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah he's definitely re referencing all those together. It's like, like you said, blending it all together into like one, concoction and like you said it's it's it, definitely referencing all those without sounding like any of them which is interesting yeah um and then a pop life which is one of my yep. favorites as well this was a hit off this album another hit and, and a good one and it touches on his fatigue with uh, his popularity his fame mm.
there's he has a string of like minimalist hits coming up and pop life seems like it could have almost been that one without some of the you know that like um almost just bringing up the calliope again almost like calliope sound of that keyboard in the background or that effect um but like you know you can almost hear that with just the piano and the vocals you know and then of course he's gonna have a string of of really minimalist songs which um, singles i should say which are some of my favorites of his actually yeah going to parade yeah exactly okay so let me wrap up uh this and then we'll get into parade so yes so my only song from raspberry beret which i like raspberry Ray, i like pop life which you already covered um uh, uh tambourine is so funny <laughs> that's like such a weird little ditty yeah. like a little like a sketch or something it's barely a song at all so that's a little weird that it's even on there america was originally on my list like i said i like that it was once again not one of my absolute favorite songs of his but i did like like you said i like that it's aggressive he's definitely angry it's political it's definitely something you don't normally see from him But the one I included here was the B-side to Raspberry Beret, which I really like. It's called She's Always in My Hair. And I like how clever the lyrics are. And uh, I also like that he kind of, you know, in a very subtle way, he's going from like funk to pop. I like the way he his vocal, like he basically doubles up on the, the chorus. I, I like I, I, it's very clever. I really like the song. Yeah. And this was a board. Oh, sorry. I was just, oh, no, go ahead. Was a, um, yeah, this was one that was just barely off my list um it's one of my favorites from him d'angelo does a cover of this oh yes yeah uh, mm -hmm. yeah oddly appeared on the scream 2 soundtrack so i, don't know. <laughs> I forgot where that was a point from. that was referencing or whatever but um that's a cover to check out as well yeah this is a great song another one It's also interesting that it's a B-side here because it really does sound like a blend. It's like him segueing from Purple Rain into uh, Parade, right? playing with all these different instrumentations it's going from funky it's like how well he says all these really positive things about her but apparently it's a problematic relationship as as it always seems mm. to be with him <laughs> but it's like a problematic relationship because he's saying right. like you know she's always there to help him out and everything else but then when he goes she's always in my hair and he starts with that falsetto and then he goes my hair and then my favorite is when he hits that third my hair like the urgency there it doesn't sound like he's having it doesn't sound yeah. like a good relationship anymore you know so it's and and he even calls it out at one point he goes maybe i'll marry her maybe i won't 
I think you had a, a good point too. I, it feels to me like the the song that could most have easily been in yeah. placed in Purple Rain. Um, I mean, you could have shoehorned Raspberry Beret in there, but, you know, but they already right. covered that with Little Red Corvette, right? Um, but I would say, yeah, she's always in my hair. Could fit into purple rain mm -hmm. maybe condition yeah. of the heart from parade close but i think you're right where this b-side does serve as a better connector between uh purple rain and parade than around the world in the day did which was a stylistic kind of shift and then he follows that up with parade which is the soundtrack to under cherry moon which is a it's a horrible horrible movie which he directed himself but um, but whenever he's performing, just like you know, in Purple Rain, when he's performing, it's magnetic. He's like really, you know, uh, he's really alive when he is performing the musical numbers. Yeah, when it's in when it's a music video and unfettered from the kind of cornball narrative. Exactly, it excels. Yeah, he's a gigolo. <laughs> All the women want him. It's just it's so crazy. The whole yeah. storyline is so bananas. In black and white, you know, classier <laughs> looking. All eighty-five pounds of him. <laughs> But that, what a great album, like really like one of my favorites of his, absolutely. And he is doing a lot of different genres. Like it's a really interesting shift for him. He's definitely like now, you know, he pivoted once away from Purple Rain with this more psychedelic stuff, but he's still doing a lot of guitar and stuff. He's doing relatively little guitar. I mean, we're still doing kind of some like some funky guitar on here, but it's more rhythmic and he kicks things off like kind of cleansing the palate by doing kiss right which is like you, know, you you think about guitar solos it's barely anything at all right like musically it's a very very stripped down and it's great right like one of his most anthemic uh, songs but in such a different register than anything off of purple rain right Well, one that you have on here is Mountains. Mountains, for some reason in my mind, was on Around the World in uh, a day. And I don't know why I thought that. Maybe it's because it does kind of sit outside of this more esoteric pop that is on the rest of Parade. But I love this song. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. It does seem to me, um, which makes sense too, because I really enjoyed Around the World in a day. And this does seem like more of a connective thread to that. Yeah, I think the, the lyrics are cool. Like whenever Prince gets kind of like weird, spiritual, esoteric, I, I kind of enjoy. And on this one, like, it's cool. Like the, the horns, everything, it's just very um, joyous about the song.
reason I probably confused that what album just came off of is because he was like still, you know, he'd be spinning singles off of the first album when right. the next yeah. album is coming out. So it, was, it all yeah, became a blur at this point. Right? Furious pace over these uh, span of years here. Um, yeah, just the it's so propulsive uh, and like upbeat. I, yeah. I, yeah, I love that one. So uh, I have three songs off of here. And uh, well, I cheated by putting uh, uh, I, I'm actually put an extra song on here because uh, New Position and I Wonder You are back to back on the album. And they're both like yeah. two, less than two minutes long. So like in my mind, it's like one track. And uh, but I, I, I really just wanted an excuse to sneak I Wonder You on here. And I couldn't put it on here by itself because it's so short. But I really love uh, and, and you know what? Maybe I'll I'll play a little bit of New Position and then I'll play I Wonder You. And then I really love the way this segues into I Wonder You. And speaking of this minimalism, right? It's like, it's funny because I Wonder You is not minimalist in any way, but it's so low key. And it's, but I love the bass. Like, just focus on the bass here. I love what he does with the bass in, in this song. just like all the little uh, touches there, you know, like the bass line and then like, I like how it's, you know, amplifying as it's iterating, you know? Yeah, and the like little synth flute doing like melody yep. against the vocals. It's, yeah, it's just another, just, it's a Prince genre song. There. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, and maybe we'll wrap up on this. So the last song I have from Parade, which was when I said, like I said, we have a lot of covered coverage here because of you know he had some hits, and then of course the uh, these the all these songs. But uh, another lover, hole in your head. What do you think of this song? Yeah, this one is super funky, and I think um, probably the biggest um, yet on the list where there's that huge Larry Graham influence on the bass, mm -hmm. and actually. You know their relationship playing together later larry was also a jehovah's witness i think he was one of the people that uh really converted prince to that 
So. Yeah, it wasn't one. Yeah, but this one, this one really holds up. So that's the the last track I had from Parade. Um, that's uh, oh, and of course there's um, you know sometimes it, it uh, snows in, in April, right? Which became like his uh, eulogy song, unfortunately, right? Once he passed away. Yeah, I would, I would check out if people could find this, but uh, D'Angelo once again and um, Maya Rudolph and I'm forgetting the other woman's name. They have a band. Um, they do like Prince covers, but they did cover this song on Jimmy Fallon, basically like. A, couple days after he passed away and it's pretty moving performance so maybe one day i'll see my tracy again sometimes it snows in april sometimes i feel so so bad. Sometimes I wish and that takes us to Sign of the Times. So this is, even at the time, critically his most, probably his most well-regarded uh, album, even more so possibly than, than Purple Rain. Uh, it was nominated for uh, Album of the Year. Uh, it, it got a bunch of nominations at the Grammys. Uh, I don't think it won any of the major awards, but it got you know it was very well very well regarded. And you know even at the time, it's so funny if you go to Google right now and you start typing in "is sign of the times." I think I started typing that, and it's like the first or second auto uh, complete is like the best album of all times. <laughs> it's like that's like one one of the Google <laughs> suggestions, and uh, it has that reputation, right? It's definitely on everybody's lists of you know great albums. Yeah, front front to back, um, it's just it's brimming, um, and this is probably one. I'd say it's probably the peak of just like an insane amount of creativity for Prince um, yeah. from the preceding couple of years up to to this point. And uh, yeah, our, rightfully so, I think it's considered by most his magnum opus. Yeah, and it's it, and it's just full of of great songs. And I'll probably um, excerpt um, in the final product. I'm going to throw in um, Sign of the Times itself, which would have definitely made my, I mean, honestly, it wasn't on an exclusion list of any kind, but I really wanted to kind of focus on other things because this album is so rich. But Sign of the Times is obviously a giant hit he had off of here. Sitting on when a rocket ship explodes and everybody still wants to fly
and uh, you got the look which i don't think is a great song by the way you know i think it's one of his of, of all the really really big hits he had i think that's pretty it's campy it's, uh, yeah it is campy absolutely very campy and uh, a little out of character for the album honestly but uh, but it is a big hit so just to call it out And I'll probably excerpt a little bit of this too, because this was definitely on the cutting room floor until the very last minute, which was the cross, which has such a great, um, once again, his fixation with Jesus and the second coming of Christ, et cetera. He's getting more religious and it's going to start impacting his music pretty soon in bigger ways. And uh, the cross is, uh, has great guitar, great sound. Uh, also very kind of almost psychedelic, definitely. Yeah. That's a that's a really good one. And like I said, that was hard for me to cut. But again, cut that one because I really wanted to focus here on my picks with his songwriting, which I think is so great. And um, I have uh, the, the the first couple I play from here. I'll start off with, and then we'll go to one of your uh, picks. Is uh, if I was your girlfriend, which is not a guitar-driven song at all. And we've, I've already referenced this song multiple times throughout this, but I love his songwriting here mm. in this song. So yeah, this is um his uh, Camille persona. Um, mm-hmm. This uh, kind of very speed uptuned vocal, and out of a lot of the stuff rumored to be in the vault, the full Camille project is something that I actually am really kind of looking forward to see if they'll release. Um, this probably being uh, clearing away probably the best song. 
but it would just be interesting to see more of um, this perspective from Prince, um, which is throughout all his music, really. But this is just really pointed at, um, you know, the femininity in his music um, and those dynamics of, you know, sexuality and gender. And um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, this is definitely just the songwriting is so great because it is just really firmly planning yourself in another perspective and trying to to process that. And the other interesting thing, um, which is another kind of uh, complete influence over Prince's entire catalog is just you know, the cover songs that he chooses to do and then songs yeah. he wrote for others. So often um, he was covering women artists and writing songs for women. Yep, absolutely, uh, right. Yep. So just to be able to have that range of kind of emotional intelligence is really um, it, pretty unheard of in the pop world, I, I would say at that time in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when I'm revisiting his music yet again and trying to see it from a psychological perspective is that I think that he's like iconic as like almost like a, you know, like a, a trans um, persona, like as a trans person. Right. Um, uh, but I think that that's a little little bit too literal of a, a reading of his kind of mixed uh, um, male and female. I think what he's talking about is it's in When Doves Cry, right? Am I, is he like his father or is he like his mother, right? And it's the idea that he had this father who's this rigid authoritarian, religious um, uh, um, technician of a musician who was very much a rule follower. And he had his mother who was, uh, what was that? Kind of a masculine archetype. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's exactly with the duality he's seeing there. And then a feminine archetype in a way where she was, and you know, this made, this led to a lot, I think, of these negative, oftentimes misogynistic representations of women and the way he you know, even dressed women. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine right after he died. She's a huge Prince fan, but she was saying that she has issues with the way he kind of objectified women, like the way he really, you know, when he was with Kim Basinger or when he was with Sheena Easton or when he was with um, uh, Vanity or Apollonia, he really like, they all have, like they had to dress a certain they had to act a certain way, right? So he had this, this hyper-sexualized femininity also in his partners, right? Hmm. And, uh, and I think that was something that he took from his mother in some ways, uh, that she was someone who was more of a free spirit. She was kind of a hippie. Um, and she was kind of like, I want to party. I want to have fun. And this was the tension in the relationship with her, his father and his mother. And I think that is him wrestling with that in himself, right? Playing out this tension between his mother and his father, and therefore the tension between a stereotypically quote unquote masculine and a stereotypically quote unquote feminine perspective. And that's in all his music, I think, right? And it's really exemplified here. Right? He's really putting on a different persona, right? And, uh, and it's really great. I mean, the lyrics are great and uh, the music's interesting, very strange the way he's arranged this. Yeah, yeah, the beat is very cool. Um, yeah, I really, uh, we keep saying this, but I, I enjoyed everything about this one. Um, you know just the uh one the vocal thing is cool because it's like he has a natural falsetto that's pretty crazy anyways right. and to turn it up even more you're just like oh wow this is very interesting um but yeah that kind of like plonky 
uh, bass line, synth bass line on that. And um, I think it's, I think there's real bass there too, but kind of centerpiece almost a sign of the time. Because, yeah. you know, it starts out with the title track as being one of his broad kind of topical statements. But I, I think even in those broad terms, Prince does deal with the yin and yang of, of things, the, the male and the female, you know, um, so there's like war and peace, uh, you know, the body versus the spirit, all these dualities that he expresses in his music, he goes from the broadest point inside of the times and then shrinks it down to an interpersonal relationship. And it's, it's just what beautiful. And I like, by the way, that you, two of the songs I had on my, my long list, I call that a short list. It was not a short list at all, but uh, were ballads. And like I said, I always tend to gravitate to his guitar driven songs. So I like that you took on some ballads on yours. And your first pick from here was Forever in My Life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that one is. Uh... You know, there's really cool uh, call and response kind of vocal as it works its way through the song. It gets more kind of pronounced, um, but a very minimal beat. Um, yeah. And that kind of links back to, uh, you know, Parade in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just the drum machine and this kind of synth bass for the first three minutes of the song, an interjection of, I, I think it's probably Wendy, um, mirroring some of the background vocals or doing like kind of a fade out chant and it's just like this little acoustic guitar figure that comes in so it's it's really interesting to pull pull that off um and like his lead vocal is really soulful in it too you know and the background vocals are kind of like a little more detached and again kind of like they're higher pitched it's a little more feminine sounding so you have that duality again um yeah one of my favorite favorite songs And like you said, I, I love the limit that the, the um, just the, the balance he got to on this album where he and we're going to talk about this later, but Diamonds and Pearls as an album doesn't work for me, even though it has some really good songs, because the production at that point is so bombastic. It's so over the top. It really, you know, marks it in a way. And that's the kind of production like you were talk, touching on some of those other songs, like some of the songs on Parade, like Girls and Boys. But that's where for me it really starts to get too cluttered 
Mm. And uh, I love that here he balances it out where he's still experimenting a lot, but he really has, you know, streamlined his sound and, and, and you know, whether it is the cross or something like this, um, or even the, the song I'm going to play now, one of mine, which is a pop song. Uh, um, I can never take the place of your man, which is maybe one of his best guitar solos, by the way, but really like straight up pop song and maybe the last, or no, actually I take that back because he has some other really fun pop songs to come, but it is, um, it's, he's really hit the balance of not cluttering the production at all in, in this album. And he did a, and I don't know why he turned it up so much <laughs> in yeah. the next out in the subsequent albums. I mean, it really does. It, it gets more and more busy. It seems like in the later albums for sure. Uh, but this, yeah, he he is experimental, but he's limiting the sonic palette kind of in each song. Um, that you know, it's not reliant on a new sound coming in. It's like these little simple kind of melodic hooks that he builds with, you know, five building blocks maybe, and it's coupled with the way he ranges his vocals. I think it's just much more powerful and you don't get things lost in this like really buried mix of stuff, which he'd fall into a little bit later. Yeah. And, uh, and I think part of it, I'm just thinking about it now, part of it may very well be that th this is the first record in a while that is just Prince was just credited as Prince. So I think that's kind of what leads to some of this minimalism, even though the, the entire revolution actually plays at different points in this uh, record that uh, it really was, all these songs really started with him in his, you know, studio back like he did at the beginning, where it's just a one man band, basically. Yeah. And then he'll just go from guitar to bass to, you know, synthesizers. Right. And it goes back to like, even like his very first album, right? That For You album was literally him playing every single, he played the drums, he played the keyboards, he played the, he, like you said, he went from instrument to instrument. And uh, so it started that way. He obviously fleshes it out. He has a band so they can flesh out the music. But I think that leads to some of the intimacy here. But yeah, going into I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. Um, yeah, that's like one of his power. That's like, a to me, I call it like a Prince power yeah. pop song, which is like Literary Corvette, Raspberry Beret falls into that. This one, I know that Bruce Springsteen's cover, covered Purple Rain a number of times. This to me would have been a great Bruce Springsteen cover. I think the lyric, he could he could really knock these lyrics out. Yeah, and, and going back to the lyrics, <clears throat> what I like about this, even compared to some of those other examples you gave, although Little Red Corvette also has very clever lyrics, but I, I love all thing, everything about this. I like the storytelling, once again, great storytelling in this in this song. So he like throws in like this, you know, like a whole two sentences instead of like the, the, the one word you're expecting to hear in that beat of the song. Yeah. So it's really fun what he's doing, playful with it. And I love the guitar solo in this. I think it's really great. Yeah, it's just a really like sunny sounding song and it's got this kind of like clever he's really sly like funny on this one with the jokes it's not over the yeah. top
awesome. And um, again, though, like he's got the little hand claps in there and it like these fun pop songs, it really does. Uh, it just shows like how studied he was, I think, in the whole evolution of like rock and roll. Because it's like though he takes like these 50s and 60s motifs, um, you know, early Motown, Atlantic Records and stuff and uh, updates it, adds you know some synths and some new sounds so it's not a total pastiche but it's you 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 hear the echoes of that influence um especially in those peppy numbers you know oh by the way just a real brief thing i think it's on showtime still on amazon prime at one time i forget where it is now but <clears throat> he re- he directed maybe the only good movie he's ever done he directed sign of the times uh, a movie the sign have you seen sign of the times no primarily it is a it's a live performance, right? So it's like him at Paisley Park. They build these sets and they walk around these sets and they're performing the songs. There's a story that's kind of tying these things together, but it is um, mostly performance. And uh, uh, and there's a small audience there, but you don't really see the audience at any time, right? So hmm. it's, it's really just him performing. But anyway, it wasn't available for a really long time. And then right when he died, it suddenly popped up on like Showtime or something. And uh, we I watched it with Kim actually, and she had never seen it either. But it's still out there. I, I actually looked it up recently when I was looking at recommendations to make. And uh, so I recommend you, you track it down. There is, leading up to this song, it is Sheila E is playing, like, no joke, it's got to be like a four or five minute drum solo wow. that builds and builds and builds and builds. And then the song starts. And it is, it's great. Like, it's, it's incredible. He also does this beautiful um, uh, cover of Little Red Corvette just at the piano. So, oh, so, nice. Yeah, I would recommend uh, you check that out. Well, it sounds like he stumbled upon, like, something... Um right where you have um purple rain where the story and the music you know it's always that everything in every ever all of his movies the music performances are the most compelling things right. absolutely so there's like kind of a a normal size plot to the amount of music in purple rain and it seems like under a cherry moon there is almost too much weird plot stuff and then the music was not as prominent or it seems not to be and then in what you're talking about here it seems like he's just like now it's mostly just music and minimizing the thing that's always the weak point of the prince movie experience okay so your next pick from sign of the times is another ballad and another really good one it's uh maybe one of my absolute favorite ballads of his i think and it's uh, a door this to me is probably one of his most like um, acrobatic vocals without a lot of like the pitch tuning stuff. Um, like it just is kind of natural voice throughout a lot of it. Um, all yeah, all like the swoops and uh, wailing that he does on it is just uh, so emotive, and the beat's really cool. Um, and uh, he again throws in a joke where he's like all these things he would give for and then he says even his ride but then he corrects himself <laughs> he's like well maybe not the ride right right like uh, so there's a joke in this whole like totally uh kind of over the top uh you know the title says it all adore you know right. um yeah it's just uh everything about it like it melds together is uh it's great and it doesn't get um it's not like over long 
even though it's about six minutes long. You know, there's so much kind of movement. I was, I actually have to agree with that. That's so funny when you talk about the length of it is that I don't remember it as being long and I'm looking at the timestamp here as I'm about to play it. And I'm like, wow, this is <laughs> six and a half minutes long, really? Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it doesn't, like you said, it definitely doesn't feel long when you're listening. You know, it's not like a narrative story really, but it's a great impressionist work by Prince, I'd say. got a lot of his um layered vocals there it's like he's like doing his own accompaniment there and it's like you know he's got and he, like you said he's he's playing with his vocals at, in different ways on each one of those layers right yeah I, like gospel prince is yep. one of the best prince uh variants to me with anything like that one with the organ and the horns and everything it had just this gospel feel and like also like you hear like al green and like curtis Mayfield yep. in the way he's arranging his vocals and yeah it it floats by in a very enjoyable like six minutes and 38 seconds or whatever it is and uh what's interesting with this too is that <clears throat> some of that gospel influenced uh you know like the new power generation's next band that's going to be prominent in the next few albums it really plays into that gospel as well and uh, it doesn't work as well. Like there's just something about the balance he got here that doesn't work. It starts to, and we're going to get into this, but it, this is like not only his high point, but there's definitely a degradation after this point. And, um, you know, hmm. uh, for me anyway, I mean, some people really love some of these subsequent albums, but there's just a balance here that he, cu he cuts and it doesn't feel, it's weird because he's doing guitar solos. He's doing, you know, hard like house music. He's doing... He's mixing it all in here and it doesn't feel like it's a bad blend. It's like, he's, it's just like everything about him and it all just kind of is just the right balance of all those things. And I feel like he never really gets this balance right again. Um, or it's just like, how can you follow up? Like just something so genius and inspired. Right. And, and not just this album, but this, everything that led up to it, right. He's had, he's got a string of records that are really almost untouchable, right. In, in those first seven, eight albums of his. So, yeah. Yeah, and then then just have something that was you know commercially and critically lauded like, and he he probably would say he knew it too like that it was his best. Right. Yeah. So to follow that up though, that's gonna play on anybody's confidence. It doesn't matter. I wonder um, if he has. <laughs> sometimes I wonder if he ever lacked confidence though, even with some of the most ridiculous things he did. So. No, that's the greatest thing about him. That's why he released 38 records in his <laughs> lifetime. All right. So my next pick from this is a strange relationship. Um, 
I love this song. It's just like you, I, I, I saw your notes, you, you, you previewed them for me. And uh, yeah, so I, this was like a banger. And I'm like, absolutely. This is just a, you know, just a straight up uh, great song. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. The lyrics are great, yeah. but really smart. And, um, you know, once again, struggling with his uh, relationship, although this is a very romantic album, like, you know, both of your ballads are obviously he's in uh, a new relationship and he's, uh, you know, really talking about like settling down and, um, hmm. and uh, you know, being in a new, new place in his life. Uh, although this is a strange relationship was actually around for a few years. So once again, may very well have referenced his um, earlier uh, relationship problems, but this is a, a great song. Yeah. It's um, I think again, like one of the, uh a great contrast that's the other like everything right so it's subject matter tonality prince can always strike these contrasts right so it's this one is such a buoyant beat it's just yeah. like propulsive um you know the the chorus is really kind of an um some of the chorus lines like uh when he does a key change where maybe i just can't stand to see you happy yep. most of that to see you sad yeah. That contradiction, use of contradiction and contrast is just quintessential Prince. And it's what makes him such an interesting figure because if you're always posing these contradictions, it raises questions. So you have to think about things, you know? I think that's one of the most more subliminal effects that, uh, really getting into prints can have on a person yeah and it's interesting too if you uh, if you've listened to that another posthumous release was um what's called like piano and a mic or something like that and it was him at the piano like doodling songs during you know so he's, he's trying to figure out purple rain and it's just him like kind of playing the chords and throwing lyrics out here and there and one of the songs on there is strange relationship right so, uh, and yeah. you hear him like it's at a few different times where he's playing around with the phrase is like that, um, maybe I hate to see you happy. And you see him like actually trying to work the lyrics out in his head. And, um, but anyway, it's just interesting once again that, you know, he was going through that particular the whole theme of Purple Rain and that relationship. And that he's of course writing this song at that time, right? Uh, but he yeah. finally figures it out a few years later. And it, it completely different arrangement, by the way, right? But, but uh, such a great song. Yeah, so I, I I like the opening lyric where it's like you know you, you know that I don't like winter, but I, I get a kick out of doing you cold. <laughs> yeah, and coming from a guy that lives in Minneapolis, it's kind of <laughs> right. And he's a, a masochist as well. <laughs> right. No, that it, it's so uh, yeah. It, it, again, he's like yeah, just putting this question that most people have wrestled with probably at some point in their life. 
you know, if you've had, uh, especially younger relationships, right. Right. Um, where it's like, just doesn't seem to be fun, but there's like a, or there's this attraction still, you know, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. And so he has these weird kind of like, uh, arguments against this. Yeah. Like just this like bouncy funk kind of beat, you know what I mean? And we forget, I mean, I was just thinking about this last night too. It's just like, you know, all of this, you know, drama in his uh, relationships, you know, and, um, uh, and, you know, just trying to figure yourself out anyway at that age. And uh, you forget, right? Because someone's this massive star that everybody can recognize all over the world. You know, it goes back to the biography where I was telling last week, you know, it's 1978, right? Or, and he's 17, 18 years old, right? So he was born in 1960. So, you know, when this album is being recorded, like 86, 87 is probably when he was recording these sessions. Mm. He's what, like 26, 27 years old? I mean, like, yeah. he's like, you know, college age, you know, like, it's not like, uh, yeah. you know, this, you know, it, it feels like he's been around forever because he has, because, you know, he started recording at 17, 18 years old. So it feels like, you know, he's this like, uh, like why? Yeah. Sage. Yeah, exactly. But he's just some kid, right? He's just yeah. trying to figure things out. But he's incredibly talented. Right. And that's the other reason you, I think it's hard to, at the time, not put him in that perspective that you're because he was already put in the pantheon at that point right hmm. but he's like 25 years old <laughs> i know it's wild and that just is like how talented he he was you know what i mean um yeah it's crazy to think about because you're like oh grizzled pop veteran yeah prince. Exactly. just he's like in a third wave of his career yeah but, he's like 27 yeah he's 26 he was able to rent a car last year <laughs> uh so uh yeah so oh and i cheated i have one more on here but i know you want to talk about it anyway uh speaking of his songwriting he's a huge Joni mitchell fan by the way Joni mitchell actually tells a story of meeting him when he before he was famous and him being like this like teenager who's like oh i'm such a huge fan of yours etc he's a lifelong fan of her. yeah he's a, he's yeah. a huge fan of hers and um so the ballad of dorothy parker which in, in in lyrically anyway i mean just like not really necessarily musical style but really seems like he is trying to play with like almost like a, a Joni Mitchell type um, story, right? Uh, uh, and he calls her out in the song, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so tell me about this one. Uh, yeah, again, I think it is, um, I would say it's basically a straight up Joni Mitchell tribute because he kind of sings in her tone of voice. If you listen to like Yellow Taxi or... But like the way he's phrasing some of this stuff um, yep. and also just like, yeah, the whole narrative story story um, of the lyric and the fact that he literally calls her out and like sings right. a line from Help Me, uh, right. which was released in uh, 71. So he's been listening to her. And that's the thing. He's just like this. Um, his musical mind was just boundless. Right. Um, and this is me just guessing, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if his, her, his dad is like listening to Miles Davis and stuff. And by the way, there's like a bootleg you can track down yeah. somewhere where he plays with Miles Davis, which is great if you can find it. They played at uh, Miles came to Paisley Park like one. Yeah, I think it was uh, in 86 or something or it was like right before he passed Miles Davis. I had a uh, I had that bootleg somewhere. So someone someone had it on vinyl and they, you know, I copied it onto a cassette and God knows where it is. 
But um, but anyway, it's great if you can find it. It's probably on YouTube or something. You probably someone probably copied it out there. But uh, it's really good. Um, oh, oh, but yeah. So what I was saying was that like his dad probably had him listen to Miles Davis, and he was into funkadelic anyway. Uh, but his uh, his mom, who was kind of a hippie, was probably into like Joni Mitchell and some of these Hendrix, Sly and the Family Stone. Exactly. So it's these, once again, it's the duality of his mother and his father. Just All right, so Sign the Times, a huge success. It's like a victory lap. The tour is very successful. The, the, the concert album does pretty well. He hits, hits on the radio. The album's not a huge seller. I mean, it's successful. It's not a massive seller like some of his other ones. But, it, um, but he gets a Grammy nomination. So like I said, it's like, you know, everybody's basically saying like, wow, you're amazing. You know, like he's really at the peak of his career, even at the time. Um, and then things start to fall apart a little bit. He is going to follow this up with the Black Album. Which have you heard the Black Album? I have not. Um, no, probably bits and pieces of it, but I don't have it downloaded anywhere. You can actually listen to the thing on YouTube. It's not available on any of the streaming platforms. All right. Um, he kind of disowned it after he... Yeah, he's, he um, um, buried it because he thought it was too uh, dark or like sa satanic almost, I think, is one of the... Yeah. And what's interesting about it was that when you hear the completed album, which is you know a full album, 40 something minutes at the time, that's what vinyl held. And the reason I mentioned that is because it doesn't like if you listen to it, the first song, by the way, is probably the only song I really like on it. It's a really heavy funk song, great funk song, the first song. And then the most notorious song on it is probably um, uh, called Bob George. And uh, he has like a, a distorted voice where he's talking with a really raspy voice. And this guy basically shows up at the recording studio because one of Prince's musician friends has cheated with his girlfriend and he ends up like pulling out a gun and like starts shooting up the place. And it's, uh, it's really ugly, <laughs> basically a very ugly song. And it's probably the darkest moment on that record. Anyway, my point is that the, what's interesting about the rest of the record is that it doesn't feel like a complete thought. The album doesn't feel finished. And um, which is very strange following up on this, but simultaneously, it was intended as a single album. He then quickly he reject he throws that album out, and then quickly to you know make his release date, he throws together Love Sexy. There actually is when Two Are in Love, by the way, is on both albums, so it's like the only song that made it between the two records. Um, and uh, he puts Love Sexy together very quickly, almost with like outtakes from some of his previous albums. Yeah, pulling out a lot of uh, older stuff, and then update. Right, exactly. And then even putting that together, it's like that album is um, Love Sexy doesn't feel complete either, which makes sense because it was thrown together, right? Yeah. But it's weird because it almost feels like those two records together, you know, maybe the best of both records could have made a real album, although their tones are so diametrically opposed, right? The Black Album is definitely mostly negative. And Love Sexy is very light. It's like almost like he intentionally wanted to put out something positive given where he was uh, after the Black Album. If what you're saying tracks uh, with that, then yeah, the same thought for Love Sexy. It's kind of fragmented. Yeah. Um, and 
pretty slight, like you're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with your analogy. Uh, but, you know, there are the couple of songs uh, that we chose. And um, yeah, your first pick from here is great. I, 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 this is one of my favorite singles of his, by the way. And it in its original radio edit, it's only two minutes long. <laughs> so it's incredibly short, although the album edits much longer. But the um, uh, this is maybe the end of his string of minimalist um, hits and it's uh, alphabet street so tell me a little bit about yeah this. like you said um like that minimalist prince funk um with a little more embellishments because he is creeping more and more into hip-hop which is kind of mm -hmm. he's a little late for all the other genres that he's absorbed um that one he it seemed to me like he took a little bit of a wait and see approach um, but right. then, you know, he's thrown in turntables and rapping himself and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and having a lot of like featured people that he would have rap, which probably um, uh, we can get into that later. Um, but the great connection with this song um, to hip hop itself is uh, Arrested Development, not the TV show, but the rap group <laughs> from the uh, uh, right. early 90s mid 90s um they're like landmark single tennessee sampled mm -hmm. this song and prince especially by that time anyway was just renowned for his like shrewdness and business and uh was very like stingy about people trying to sample him like he'd gift people he'd like give people songs that he'd written and um it had to be like a personal transaction is my sense of it. Um, but instead of, uh, you know, quashing the song uh, for the group and just removing the sample um, or, you know, demanding like a perpetual like writer, co-writer credit, he just asked for a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And uh, do them and, it, you know, pretty much launched their, career like into the stratosphere and the sample is not like the primary part of the song other right. than being the name of the song <laughs> right it's so surprising that that song really it i mean i think that's I mean, whether it's intentional or not it feels like it's almost just something he threw off and it's so great like it's just such a funky song it's just so and it feels and that's what i think where you're going to see a, a downslide in my opinion in his quality is that i felt like this feels like so minor like it's not even he probably didn't spend much time on this at all and it is so infectious and it is so funky and i feel like later in his career he tried so hard to get like a real funky groove going and you can hear him feel him you know struggling with it and he's just not doing it 
<laughs> like the loose the looseness of it i think is what yes it, uh you know it's very carefree you know i think it's the confidence thing like you said before too there's a confidence to it that he's going to make you know it's it's like what he did with a lot of these men like kiss for example when he was going to release kiss warner brothers was like what are you doing like what, like this song's not finished you know it, they where's really, the baseline yeah yeah which was what they said with uh when dumb's cry too right yeah but he said i know what i'm doing and they're like they're yes, like, sorry. okay, you can release it, but not first single. And he's like, nope, I'm going to release it. And Warner Brothers is like, all right, fine. You blow up your own career if you want to. <laughs> of course, it's a huge number one hit when it comes out. So yeah. He knew. And I think that's what happened. He knew. He had the confidence. He made those decisions. And he was right over and over again. And then he stopped being right. And I think that he lost his confidence because of that. Right. And part of that is what you say. I think this starts here because on this album, he has this song. And another song that I almost put on my pick, but I decided not to because it has the same flaw, which is that it has a rap segment. And when he was trying to rap, it was so awkward. And, um, and I think like he was chasing that trend yeah. and it didn't work. And I think he started to lose his confidence. It, and that had a lot to do with it. Right? Because the music was changing and he wasn't able, like he had been the trendsetter and now he was following the trend, but he wasn't good at it. And that was a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what started happening here. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it did him any favors. So my song from this album, and it is, and once again, very slight in a way, but I think it's a lot of fun. And it kind of speaks to once again, when he was still um, able to like throw these songs off and it was effortless and they were fun. And it's maybe the end of this time in his career when he can do that. And the song I picked was I Wish You Heaven. Fittingly angelic vocals. Um, yep. The arrangement is really cool um, because it has like guitars and keys kind of like weaving in and out of each other at different points. So there's not like these grand solos in anything. Right. There's like these little mini solos almost Yep. that kind of just buoy the lyric arrangement at the time and everything kind of really flows I, I like this one a lot from this record actually i hadn't really uh i hadn't paid it that much attention until i re-listened to it so i love the interplay right it's just the way these like instrumentation is just playing one with the other and it's it's you know and, and once again it's probably him in the basement yeah <laughs> doing this by himself and uh he's improvising with himself in a way it's just like feedback probably layer over layer but it's uh, it's a lot of fun outrageous album cover he's ever put out <laughs> it, it is i'm looking at it right now because i have the playlist in front of me it is like hilarious yeah, exactly. how many completely <laughs> nude album covers out there by any artist no a famous uh, critic basically was talking about he's a huge prince fan and um, you can kind of read through like on wikipedia you can see him like literally reviewing each one of prince's albums 
and he was, you know, to the end, he was actually still a fan of Prince, even when his quality went down. But like on this album <clears throat> and some of them around it, he basically said, like, you know, he's talking about Prince's persona in general. And he goes, uh, is he ever serious? Is he ever not? Does it matter? <laughs> and that's basically his, you know, I think that's that's kind of what we have to like when you look at this painting, once again, I think to myself, is this supposed to, is this serious or is this a joke or what or does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. So that was our conversation. There's actually another episode yet to come. We continue to speak beyond this. We're only about halfway through Prince's career, but we've already gotten past the best part, unfortunately. But all artists slow down over time or their quality diminishes over time. Uh, but however, that last episode does uh, deal with, um, he still has a lot of hits yet to come. He's got a two or three big albums. Some of his biggest actually are yet to come, even after this point. And uh, even as he fades away, he has uh, some quite iconic moments, mostly live performances. The Super Bowl, of course, uh, his Coachella performance, um, as well as uh, a lot of um, just anecdotes and stories that you've probably heard of, especially after he passed away. But there is, uh, you know, he becomes more of uh, almost like a uh, an urban legend, <laughs> let's say. He becomes more of like an urban legend than anything else. Oh, and one more, of course, one other great uh, live performance. Uh, the Grammys, yet another one, right? So there's so many. But um, the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame performance, right? Which is another really, truly uh, outstanding performance. Iconic, once again. And we talk about his later career, and there's still some good music, even then, even very, very late in his career, even 40 albums in, believe it or not. That's how far he got. He would just churn them out every single year. Uh, some were better, mostly worse but still some good music there as well. So that will probably show up as a bonus. We will be looking at um, potentially, we're still not 100% sure on what the next episode is going to be. The next music episode is probably going to be a deep dive into Pink Floyd, which is something that I was a big fan of growing up. And now my nephew have got has begun to get into Pink Floyd and I wanted to get him some context. And of course, the mayor of Easttown watch along continues to go. I know many of you are watching along. And uh, we're all very curious to see how it turns out. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And I'll send you a form if you're curious about being on the show or just requesting a recommendation. We can read your request and I can uh, offer up the recommendation. I'd also love for people to send us voice memos uh, about recommendations or just feedback. And um, I would love to have a, comp a compiled uh, episode at some point of all the audio and make uh, an episode out of it. So please reach out to us if you'd like. Need some introduction at gmail.com. Talk to you soon. <laughs>